I've been studying communication because I haven't got it figured out yet. You know, there's TED Talks and all these things and how you communicate better with people. And and so I I learned recently, I really knew it already, that if you don't capture people's attention in the first just few minutes of any talk, they're lost. You know, they just check out. They go somewhere else. So I'm just going to get to the bottom line right now, what I want to say. And then if you want to check out, at least you know what I'm going to say. So here's the bottom line in what uh, I'd like to uh, come to this morning. Everyone is my neighbor. Someone is my neighbor. That's it. So you can check out now. Or you can follow along to see how I came up with that as uh, I've been challenged by God's word these last couple of weeks. I'm going to use the, the very familiar story that we all know. Story, well, many of us know. If you've been to Sunday school at all, you will know it. Uh, this, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And you all remember that. And it starts out by an a expert, an expert in the Jewish law coming to Jesus, as experts often did, and tried to ask him difficult questions. And so the first part of the story we pick up in Luke 10, starting with verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, so who is my neighbor. This teaching of Jesus is often called the great commandment because within this great commandment, Jesus pulls together all the teaching of the Jewish moral code, the 10 commandments and everything else that was taught to the Jewish people into one very simple and easy to remember command. It's like two sides of a coin. Jesus said, our purpose in life, the greatest thing that we can do is love God, love your neighbor. That's it. It's that simple, although it's not really simple at all, is it? You know, I've noticed in my world, in your world, in our communities, there's a growing frustration and even anger in the fact that so many things seem to just be falling apart around us. Uh, It just seems like one disaster, one bad thing after the other happens and and we we just become depressed about what we see in our community and our world. Uh, The places we typically turn to for help seem to be hurting us more than helping us. Jesus answers this ultimate question, what are we to be about? We are to be about loving God and loving our neighbors. So we believe as followers of Jesus that he has the answer to all of this world's problems, including institutions and systems that rise up around us that should serve us but often end up serving themselves. So we can't really depend on any social system, any political system, any economic system, any of the systems that we depend on to solve our problems if at the heart of that system the great command isn't a part or a foundation. We can't. Because we naturally, as people, turn inward and begin to say, what's in it for us? 
How do I feel about this? I want my way. If it's not based in any system, it's not based on the great commandment. Love God, love others. It is doomed to fail. Talk about a Debbie Downer. But that's the way it is. Look around us. The reason we are in the mess we're in is because our institutions, no matter what they are, no longer have loving God and loving their neighbor as really an essential part. They put it on the back shelf and now interested in self-interest and using their feelings as what really counts more than anything else. And, And so Jesus brings this succinct answer to the question, why do we exist to this teacher of the law? But the teacher's really, as the text says, looking for a, a way to get by or literally looking for a loophole. What exactly do I have to do in order to inherit eternal life? I want a list. I don't want, you know, because if I don't have a list, I can't check it off and then feel good about myself because I've done it. Give me more detail, please. Who is my neighbor? Who is this person that I'm supposed to love? And Jesus, like a good teacher, tells this story rather than giving a checklist. And so you've heard the story, the Sunday school story, but let me read it again just to kind of uh, refresh your memory. Starting in verse 30, Jesus replied with this story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant also, or Levite, walked by and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now Jesus asks, Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus said. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. Now, the picture here is painted of these three characters. The fourth is lying along the side of the road. The three characters that have a chance to respond to this poor man's dilemma. Now, of any, the last character is the least likely to really respond. The heroes of the story ought to have been the priest or the Levite. Good Jewish people who followed the Jewish moral code. The third respondent, who happens to be the one who actually is the hero of the story, is a hated Samaritan. And if you remember anything about the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews, they're like feuding cousins. They don't really like each other very well. And it would have been an insult to think that a Samaritan could do good. And yet, this one who was least likely to help, helped. He reached out. Now, the Bible really doesn't say the motives of the the guys that, that passed by, but we do know this. We do know that 
it wasn't because they didn't notice them. We might be able to cut them a little slack if they just hadn't seen them, right? Oh, I just, I didn't see. But they did see. The text clearly says that they passed by where? Oh, come on. On the other side. You can answer. It's okay. Pass by on the other side. So it was sort of like this. Whoops, I don't want to get involved in this. Now, some, some of the motives have, have been suggested that they were busy either coming or going from their religious duties and they had to hurry and do something good for God. That was one of the excuses. Maybe they just didn't want to get involved in something that looked a little uh, uh, dangerous. Whatever the fact is, they didn't get involved. Now, there's a couple of phrases here in the story that if you have a Bible that uh, you actually mark in, which would be unusual, but you might have one, you could circle or just underline this phrase. In verse 33, the Samaritan felt compassion. And then in 37, who is the neighbor? The one who showed mercy. The hinge point of the story is Verse 33, the Samaritan felt compassion. I don't know what the other two guys felt, but it wasn't compassion. They may not have felt anything, tell you the truth. Aren't we that way sometimes? We get so burdened with everything that's happening around us, we get numb to the, the needs of people around us because it's just messy. It's complicated. And so we pass by on the other side. Maybe we just don't feel anything anymore. But this hero of the story, the Samaritan, feels compassion and is led to act on that compassion. Uh, C.S. Lewis calls love, love of neighbor, love, the idea that we want the best or we want the good of the other person, even if they don't deserve it. But this goes even farther than just wanting or wishing good for someone. It goes into action. And actually these words, compassion and mercy, especially the word mercy, indicates the idea that we don't just feel something. We do something about it. So I have a little formula for you to remember. What is biblical love? Love equals compassion plus action. Love equals compassion plus action. And so in this story... Rather than gathering the boundaries together so that we only have to love a certain kind of person or in a certain way, Jesus blows the boundaries up to say this love commandment has no limits. This was certainly quite a bit different than what the people of the time may have learned in um, Sunday school. Early Jewish writing. Listen to this. Give to the devout, but do not help the sinner. Do good to the humble, but do not give to the ungodly. Hold back their bread and do not give it to them. Give to the one who does good, but do not help the sinner. Perhaps that's why they passed by on the other side. This fella got himself into his own mess. He doesn't deserve to be helped. Neither the Roman world nor the world of the Jews in this time really had a lot of room for compassion. And so in this world where compassion is needed, 
Jesus begins to teach a different way, a different kind of way of relating to God and others, which shatters those boundaries and turns this world upside down. So that's why I got to that bottom line quickly. Everyone is my neighbor. Someone is my neighbor. A few years ago, we as a church decided to take this question seriously. If our church closed down today, would anybody notice? Now, we hope that you who are members and attenders here would notice. We would hope that. But we were really thinking about our community. If, if we would just close down and just decide it's not worth it, would anybody really care that we closed? In fact, we came to the conclusion that a lot of people would be very happy because there wouldn't be any tra traffic jams on Sunday morning. And that'd be about all they would notice. Oh, we can get through there on, on uh, Rogers and Sarah Road. Pretty cool. And so we decided that wasn't the way we wanted to go out. We wanted to make sure that if we went out of business, people would say, that is a shame. That congregation was about the business of helping people in our community, whether they deserve it or not. And so we said about all kinds of things. And I'd, I'm happy to say that today we've made some progress. Even today, when you saw this uh, little, uh, these pictures of the bikes and all that, that's a part of the, our ongoing process to try to bless our community, whether they deserve it or not. To be a good neighbor, to be a good citizen. That's part of what we've done. And we've done a really good job in the last 10 years. We've done a lot of good things in our community and helped and I was feeling just, I mean, I've, I've been feeling great about that, really. You know, to tell you the truth. This yes to love thing, love God, love others. We are doing a great job. We've got bikes for kids and we've done all this. We've got volunteers for big brothers and sisters. And we do this and we do that. People all over the place helping. And then I read this quote a few months ago that really got me right here. Here's the quote. The majority of the issues that our community is facing would be eliminated or drastically reduced if we could just figure out a way to become a community of better neighbors. Now this, was, uh, this speech was given to a group of religious leaders, pastors in a large city in our nation. And they kept asking in this dialogue, what in the world could we ch our churches do? You know, what programs could we start? How could we help our community? We really wanna know. And this person, who happened to be the mayor, made that statement. Maybe you should start teaching your people how to be better neighbors. Which seems to indicate he didn't feel like those church people were very good neighbors, doesn't it? Could it be that easy? Could it be that when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, it doesn't just mean I love everybody, which there are no boundaries to my love. Yes, I think it means that. But could it actually mean... Those people near you, those people around you every day, whether at work or in your neighborhood, especially in your neighborhood, even your families, but mainly your neighbor that we don't always consider people worthy of our love. Could it be that we should really literally try to obey the commandment of Jesus, love your neighbor, my actual neighbor? Sometimes the best thing we can do for our community is to become better neighbors. And this led me to a question that I'm still trying to figure out how to answer. Well, I really know how to answer it. I just don't want to answer it. The question is, if I moved out of my neighborhood, if our family moved out of our neighborhood, would anybody care? 
Would they even notice? Have we made such a little impact that they might even say, huh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. I'm bad at this. I am bad at being a good neighbor. I've got all the same excuses that those guys well, that walked by the, the side of the road. I, I have those same excuses. I, I really do. I, I'm naturally introverted, and it's really hard for me. I just don't, you know, you may find that hard to believe, but it's true. Uh, I don't make small talk well, and, and I don't, you know, I don't do that very well, but could it be that that's a part of really what I need to do in order to become a better neighbor? It's easier to say, let a program take, the government has, pro, the city has programs. How's that working? It's not. Things are worse than ever. The system is broken. But let the church do it. Well, we are the church. Clue. We are all could do something about it. So that's not a good excuse. I'm too busy. Sure, I am too busy. You're too busy. But that is not a good excuse. Getting personally involved is really risky. I don't need any more drama in my life. I've got plenty. That's a great excuse, but it's not really an excuse. Jesus breaks the love boundaries and says there are no limits. So when people ask Jesus what they need to do, he responds with a story. He doesn't really say, okay, one, two, three, four, five, here's what you need to do to be a better neighbor, how you can love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't do that. I think partly because it would not work if that list was given in the first century and we transferred the specifics, you know, go, you know, take the, take the neighbor's donkey for a walk. I don't think we would, that would be something we could do. You know, uh, you know, get water from the well for your neighbors. I, I don't think those kind of things translate. So it's left to us to figure out how. So just, just as a public service, I thought I'd give you some ideas, very simple ideas, how to take this command seriously and start this neighboring experience for you. So uh, before I do that, I want to give you an example of how not to be a neighbor. This is a letter to a neighbor that reads, Dear Frank, we've been neighbors for six tumultuous years. When you borrowed my tiller, you returned it in pieces. When I was sick, you blasted rap music in my window. And when your dog went to the bathroom all over the lawn, you just laughed. I could go on, but I'm certainly not one to hold grudges. So I am writing this letter to tell you, your house is on fire. <laughs> Cordially, Bob. Don't be like Bob. So what could we do to bless our neighbors and become better? The Oak Hill Church in Texas, which is Max Licato's church, has started this idea of trying to develop in their their uh, congregation, uh, an idea of blessing their community by being good neighbors. And I've got uh, the, the helps up here. Are you blessing your neighbors? At the bottom, the scripture says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. This was to the Israelites, the original mandate to the Israelites, who they failed miserably at being good neighbors, but it transfers to us as the people of God today. We are blessed to bless others. You see, the Israelites put too many conditions on who you're going to bless. Jesus breaks those boundaries down. So there's, this acrostic will help us remember very easy things to do to start neighboring a little bit better. The first one, begin in prayer. Well, that's usually an answer in church anyway, isn't it? I mean, prayer is pretty well, 
a good answer for anything. But this is specific kinds of prayers that you can pray to say, open my eyes to see what's happening around me. Make me sensitive to my neighbors. Show me something that I might need to say or do. That's the kind of prayer to pray. pray. And, and you know, if, you're not, if you do it, you have to watch for what happens because God will start answering that prayer. My favorite prayer quote that I work into every sermon practically, so just if you, you probably repeat after me. My favorite prayer quote is this. You can do more than pray after you've prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Understand? Don't go out and do stuff and then pray, Lord, please bless that. Pray first. Watch what happens next. You can pray. Some people take walks in their neighborhood and just pray. Just to see what happens. Second one. Learn their names. Oh, this should be simple, shouldn't it? But I'm not sure it is. The Art of Neighboring book puts out a challenge. It's called the Block Challenge. Let me explain. In the middle is your house, your apartment, or your estate, whichever you live on. And around you are those people who are living. Now, it may not be literally that many people around you, but you get the idea. You don't take this so literally, just the people around you. And the question is, and the block challenge is, do you know the people's names? Do you know the names of their children? Do you know their name. That's where to start. Your name is a very precious commodity. When people use your name, at least they've taken the time to know you just a little bit. But remember, you are learning these names not as projects, but you are gaining potential friends. I don't want to be a project. I don't want to be some religious project that somebody puts a notch on their gun if they've given me a tract or beat me over the head with the Bible. I want to make spiritual friends. And if it leads somewhere, fine. But I've got a friend now. I feel like singing a song. You've got a friend. It's, that's, all, that's all it takes. How hard is it to learn names and begin then to do the next step, the E, engage in conversation. Now, this is small talk. Again, for somebody like me, I don't make small talk really well. But at least you could talk about the weather or something. You know, you, you, you just, just get to know people. Take a little bit of a risk and say something. Ask something. Begin to talk about the things around you. This is the way to get in. And you know, we do this not because we're trying to win someone. We're just trying to love somebody. That's all. And so small talk and, and casual conversation is an open door to start developing our relationship. Now the next one, S... Seek to be intentional. By that I mean, when you're out and about, especially in your neighborhood, look for people and go talk to them. Again, engage in conversation. It doesn't have to be long. You know, they go, oh, here they come again. Oh, no. Not that kind of thing. But just look for people when you're out and about in your apartment complex, your neighborhood, wherever it is. And, and then... Just go up to them and, and take the first step and, and have some conversation. Again, be approachable. You know, uh, the sociologist uh, Robert Putman talks about the, the lack of social capital in our world. And one of the reasons why we are more inward today is we've moved from the front porch to the deck in the back. Some of you are too young to remember this, but those of us who are a little older, we used to sit out on the front porch 
it was just too hot this time of year. Just so hot to be inside. You stay out on the front porch and you stay out there till it cools off or the mosquitoes get you and you finally go inside. But people passed by and you talked. And you might even sit on the porch a while and visit, which seems so wasteful, doesn't it? Oh, I'm wasting time visiting. But when we move to the deck in the backyard and when we drive in our driveway, hit that magic button, the door goes up, we glide into our fortress and the door shuts, nobody ever sees us. You know, there are stories. I had one. I, I, it was just too gross to tell. There are stories of people who have literally died in their homes and nobody in the neighborhood knew they died. And it's not till they, you know, found their calcified bodies, mummified bodies, months later that anybody even knew. So seek to be intentional about getting out in your neighborhood and just visiting with people a little bit. Uh, try it. It's not going to work every time, but it'll work sometimes. Lastly, share your stories. Everyone wants to learn about your story, or they should, and you, as a person who wants to bless the neighborhood, starts by finding out about the folks around you. Not so much about yourself. The biggest problem we have here is we want to talk about ourselves because it makes us feel great, but it's really better to share your story and listen. You know, the great uh, writer Jim Collins asked how he could be a better teacher. And his mentor said, well, I've noticed, said, you're trying awfully hard to be interesting. Maybe what you ought to do is try to be interested. That's what makes good story sharing. I'm interested in you and your life and your kids and what's going on. That cycles back to praying and all that just keeps cycling on and on. So we get back to basically where we started. Jesus' plan for sharing the world it's not complicated. It starts from the bottom and works its way up. Institutions can't do this, but we can. It's not the power of coercion. It's not, the, uh, it's not money. It's, it's cheap. It's, it's cheap in some ways to love other people. It's hard in others. What would happen if we simply observed Jesus' command to be better neighbors? What would happen in our communities? What would happen in our nation if all of us took seriously that command? Now, maybe you're going to say to me, well, I'm already doing this. Well, that's great. But I would guess that if you look at your block challenge, there's probably some folks there that are challenges or probably some folks there that you haven't really gotten to know. So you, we can all do better with the block challenge. I tried it uh, when I was first convicted and I didn't do really good at it. Uh, I was blowing snow, the only snow we ever had this last time, and went over to talk to the neighbor and decided to help, you know. And then they moved away. So that was a fail, but you can try it. Keep trying. Don't give up. Try to be a good neighbor. Maybe, maybe this is, it's more like, what could, what could really make a difference? You know, I'm just cynical. One person can't do anything. Well, we've heard enough today about Memorial Day to know that, yeah, one person can make a difference. Don't you ever tell a family of a, of a person who's died in the service of their country that one life doesn't make a difference. Don't you ever say that because it's not true. Jesus is a perfect example as well. And the 12 men that he invested in changed the world. So one person can make a difference, if not just to only one other person, perhaps to an entire generation of people, perhaps to an entire neighborhood. So it's not beyond the realm of possibility that us together collectively being good neighbors could change our community. It's not impossible. It's possible for us to do it. Everyone 
is my neighbor. Someone is my neighbor. After a sermon like this, a crusty old church member commented to the preacher, well, I'd like to see you love my neighbor. That's exactly what I would like to see. Jesus said, go and do the same. And that's the bottom line.